Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of Calling All Men to Action. Let's end sexual exploitation and trafficking with Mr. Alan Smith, the Executive Director of Saving Innocence based in Los Angeles, as well as the co-author of Men Fight for Me. Uh, which is a book that I feel everybody should read, but in particular, men and teenage boys should read. Um, and with that, Alan, what age do you think would be appropriate to have our boys, our teenagers, read your book? Well, first of all, thank you for having me back, Dr. Laura. Uh, it's great to be with you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I agree that everyone should read the book, too. It's not only for men. A lot of women are reading it and loving it and getting a lot out of it. But there is a special emphasis to the male audience, for sure. Uh, so we definitely want all the men, every man, to read it. And um, what's the age? You know, that's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, probably 15 or 16 is probably, uh, they're probably mature enough to handle it. And maybe if there's a parent that could, you know, debrief and discuss, you know, after each chapter or while they read it, that'd be helpful. Um, young girls and young boys are getting involved in this heinous crime of child trafficking, yeah, younger than that age. Um, so really, we could start younger than that. But I think as far as uh, just in general, yeah, I think 15 or 16 is probably a great age to get started in the in the content. We brought, we brought trafficked out to my city to Calgary in, in 20. When was it? Two years ago, pre-pandemic, so 2019. Um, and my son was 14, and, and he came with his buddy to the screening, and he he thought, "Wow, that, like he was really moved and impacted uh, by what he learned at age 14." But he was a slightly more mature 14. But I think 14 would be my threshold. And again, I think the power of film combined with the power of stories and writing like you have in the book, the cases of survivors um, is just a really impactful combination. And by doing both, by watching the film traffic, as well as by reading Alan's book, I think uh, you will leave Move to Action. So, um, Alan, tell us about how the pandemic has impacted sex trafficking of, say, children. Yeah, that's been an interesting conversation over the last couple of years now. Um, when the pandemic first hit, I remember in that first moment when we were getting kind of awareness, wow, this is real, like what's happening? And they were shutting everything down and, you know, all the stuff that was going on. My very first thought was, well, maybe this will give us a little break and maybe it'll give our kids, the children we were serving that are out being trafficked, a little bit of a break. Maybe things are going to slow down somehow, some way. And it didn't take very long before we realized that was not the case. Um, in fact, in our particular setting, uh, things increased quite a bit. And we had a spike in the child trafficking that we were experiencing here out in the West Coast, um, even as much as 30 or 40 percent. Um, you know, if you think about it, and it made perfect sense once we got my mind around that reality, all of the reasons why somebody's going to purchase sex from, sex from a child, none of them are diminished by a pandemic. They're only increased. You know, uh, everyone has more time. Everyone's more stressed. They're servicing their addictions. Uh, they're, you know, sitting in front and, and, and getting involved in pornography. They have more time to do that. Kids are more available. They're not in school. There's nothing going on. They're on the internet unsupervised. And so all the conditions that create child sex trafficking 
the pandemic only threw jet fuel on them. It didn't didn't douse them in any way. So that was really heartbreaking to understand that reality. Right, that's, that's just so disgusting. But again, a call to, we, do, we need to be doing more than ever. And I think that the high profile cases in, in terms of Jeffrey Epstein and now um, Ghislaine Maxwell, I don't know if I pronounced her first name right, but I have no respect for her, so I don't care to learn her first name. <laughs> Is it Ghislaine or Ghislaine or freaking monster? I don't know. What is it? I don't know. That's a great question. I, that's a that's a wonderful answer. I don't know how to pronounce it either, and I don't care. I just hope she goes to jail. I hope she doesn't get suicided before she gets uh, gets a chance to go to jail. <laughs> exactly. But do you think these high profile cases have made a difference to this fight, Alan? I do. Th- I do think so, and I think it's a combination of that. Uh, R. Kelly is a uh, a dirtbag rapper that finally just, you know, got a guilty verdict in trafficking. It was, he was a high profile case um, that happened, you know, in this last year. And so I think all of those things add up to everyone's antenna going up a little bit more. There's more and more podcasts like this happening. There's more and more documentaries, little pieces on news. All of that is adding to it. And so if you can get a high profile case that's in the news for several weeks or several months, I think that that's helpful. Um, the general public, this isn't something that they know or that they care to know about. It's it's too uh, it's it's too difficult of content for the average person to willingly dive into it, to go on their own Google search and to rent a documentary or two. If it's coming to them in the news on a high profile, that's I think that's got to be helpful. And this is such a tough and horrific subject matter that you, as executive director of Saving Innocence, are dealing with every day. And not only that, you choose to write a book about it in your spare time, right? So um, my question is, how do you not let it consume you and get you down, depressed, or cynical and lose faith in humanity when you see this heinousness going on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I think... I don't know if I have a great answer for it because I'm not sure that I'm incredibly successful at doing all of that, staying completely insulated by it. But I, I, what, I, what I can say is what helps me is that I think I have a really great perspective on it. Um, my co-author, Jessica, uh, she tells her story in the book, and obviously that's the tip of the iceberg. And so I, I know a lot about her story and so many other survivors that I've come to know. And, and I sort of think of it in terms of they've had more trauma in one day than I've had in my entire life. And in those moments when I, and I have had some moments, you know, every so often a particular story, a particular situation that I'm brought into uh, is so bad that it does. I do lose some nights of sleep as I'm, you know, gripped by it. But at the same time, I I do feel a sense of uh, strength and relief that, um, that I have a purpose in this fight and uh, I'm grounded in that way. I have a healthy perspective that um, these, those that I'm fighting for and fighting with have gone through so much more. And um, that doesn't lessen my impact per se, but it does keep it in perspective. And, and really what you're talking about is something called vicarious trauma and vicarious trauma is uh, something that um is when you're impacted by something that didn't actually happen to you, that keeps you up at night. Like I'm not 
being trafficked, but I'm impacted by it. That's vicarious trauma. If you were driving in your car today and you saw a really terrible car accident right in front of you, you would be shocked by that. You'd be impacted by that. You might lose a night of sleep because of what you witnessed, but it didn't, you weren't in the car accident. You're just close enough to it to see it. And the only way uh, that we're told through experts to reduce the vicarious trauma is to pull yourself out of the environment on a regular basis to give yourself a chance to reset and reboot, if you will. So at Saving Innocence, we value self-care quite a bit. We force everybody to take a week off every quarter. They get four weeks off of vacation in addition to all of all, all the vacation days and all the st other stuff. But um, pull yourself out a week of every quarter. We give people sabbaticals where they got to be gone for a month at a time. And so I do, I do my best to um, follow my own set of rules <laughs> in terms of pulling yourself out uh, and give yourself a chance to reboot and refresh. That's a longer answer. It's it's a challenge. Some of the stuff that I'm come across is so horrific and so heartbreaking. It can't, you don't have a heart. You don't have, you don't have a brain and a heart if you're not impacted by it. So I guess I'm not surprised at that point in time as now how do we deal with it? No kidding. And I'm so glad to hear that you have that in place, those one week off requirements every quarter mm -hmm. and the, the sabbaticals. Now, what do you do on a weekly basis, a daily and weekly basis for your own work-life wellness? Because in this podcast, we always touch on the topic of work-life wellness and how you've overcome challenges to your own work-life well wellness so people can learn uh, strategies. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great uh, thing to be talking about. For me personally, um, my wife and I started a little challenge where we try to do 10,000 steps every single day, which is about five miles uh, for me, for my steps. And um, so that uh, giving a little bit of a, a focus, a goal, a challenge that isn't child trafficking, it's something else. <laughs> um, and to the extent where you can get a little exercise and get outside, um, that's one thing that's been important to me. Now I did blow my knee out in September and I'm recovering from a knee surgery. So I haven't been doing 10,000 steps for the last three months, but, um, before that, um, that's one thing that's been important. Um, and then, you know, uh, my kids are grown and out of the house. Uh, my wife and I still like each other. <laughs> and so we like to do stuff together and, uh, you know, go through and watch a Netflix series or something like that stuff that isn't child trafficking, stuff that isn't Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, stuff that isn't that pulling myself out, like we just talked about of the vicarious trauma, even on a daily or a weekly basis uh, is helpful. Wonderful. That is so, so good to hear that you're aware of that you're on top of that. And um, my next question for you is what's one book and one podcast you'd recommend for people to learn more about this topic of, of sex trafficking for those who want to get more knowledge and perhaps make more of an impact? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. If you go to our website, fightforme.net, that's where our book, Men Fight For Me, is available. Um, in there, there's some resources and there's a there's a, a basically a reading list. There's a number of books there. Um, two of the survivor leader women extraordinaire that, that contributed to this book, my book, um, one is named Rebecca Bender. She has this initiative. She's phenomenal. And she has a book and it's linked there on our website, fightforme.net. Her website is, and it's called In Pursuit of Love. And it tells her story. It's her memoir, her telling her story. And I'll give you two, not just one. Harmony, Harmony Grillo is also based in Los Angeles, a survivor, leader, trainer, extraordinaire. And she has her book, 
um, called Scars and Stilettos. She was trafficked out of the strip club industry. And, and so now she's created an agency and organization to go back in and um, help these girls, these young girls get out. So I would recommend those two books. Um, there's others, but those are two that come off the top of my head. Um, there's a podcast by Dr. Sandy Morgan. And uh, I actually was on her podcast at one point, and that's also linked in our media page on fightforme.net. There's a number of podcasts there. You can check them all out. But um, she's one that's it's called Ending Human Trafficking is the name of the podcast. So it's specifically, she's a, a doctor, as I said, uh, PhD, and, and um, you know, interviews uh, lots of people with lots of perspectives. And, and that would be a good one to check out as well. Wonderful. Yes, we'll definitely put this in the show notes, all of these uh, links and resources. And we also uh, will put it in the blog that that I write uh, to do with this episode that'll come out um, as well. And, and hopefully we'll be able to spread the word uh, even more than you already have, uh, Alan. So if you didn't need to sleep, Okay, so say you didn't need to sleep anymore, that your brain and your body just didn't need that. There was some magic solution. What would you do with that extra time? I think what I'd like to do is um, get with my two adult children and my wife and create some kind of family uh, family run business, whether it's for profit or nonprofit, but to do something linking arms with my kids. They're, my kids are great. They've got so much talent and ability and what they're in their place in the life. And it'd be really fun. We've talked about it from time to time. We just have never, none of us have had the time because we all need to sleep. <laughs> um, but if you're going to magically make it so we don't have to sleep, I think it'd be really fun to link arms with my kids and my family and, and um, do something additional. Probably that would be helpful in this bigger space that we're talking about with trafficking, but not necessarily. Uh, mm -hmm. That's what I would do. Beautiful. And I actually have no doubt that you will do that in one of the next phases of your career. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and being a career psychologist, I'm always thinking that. I'm thinking of career as a series of phases. And I love the example you gave of how you basically drove up to saving innocence. You did not know much about it, but it was almost meant to be. It was serendipity. You put yourself out there and then that opportunity came after doing something else for what, 25 years? Yeah. 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 No, it, it was, it really was interesting. And if we had more time and there were more episodes, I could tell you more of the, more of those details, but I had spent 25 years working with kids. Many of them were struggling and troubled. And even within my niche, within the young life world, um, you know, once I'm a dad and I become a certain age, I said, then, then I had a voice into these young teenage girls that we were working with in young life at summer camps and things. And I would have meetings with just all of these young girls and give them a dad's perspective on their worth and their value and their beauty and those kinds of things. So it was already kind of going down this path in a way of advocating for and fighting for, uh, young girls who didn't have anyone in their life doing the same thing. And then, I stepped away from Young Life and, as I said earlier, cold called Saving Innocence, and it was kind of a natural fit. It made perfect sense. Um, yes, of course. I just didn't know this existed. I didn't know this. I didn't know any of, any of this existed. I didn't know if a man could be in this organization, in this fight. I didn't know what I didn't know. What I did know, what I was sure of, is that it resonated at the deepest part of who I was to fight for the vulnerable and fight for those who couldn't fight for themselves. And uh, who's more vulnerable and in need of strong men fighting for them than children who are having these heinous acts perpetrated 
upon them through no fault or no choice of their own. And a lot of them are young girls. So it's a great fit for me, for who I am for right now, this season of my life. I don't know if I'll do it the rest of my life, but uh, I'll be doing something related to it. That's for sure. You're a perfect example. Our last episode was on career health check for 2022. And it was all about the idea that you don't know what you don't know. And how can you continue expanding your network and, and taking on new initiatives and opportunities to help pivot your next uh, direction? And there's this topic of serendipity or planned happenstance. And Alan, you're the perfect example of it. Planned happenstance. You you put yourself out there. You but you, uh, coincidence happened, yes, but also without that intentionality and, and stuff, um, you would have never been where you are today, making such a difference. Yeah, it was, uh, the timing was really great. Uh, and I, and with no disrespect to my former career, because I love everything about it and, and it impacted my life and my family greatly. But I have said this before. Uh, I've said, I felt like I finished my 25-year internship and now I got promoted to the actual job that I'm supposed to be having uh, with Saving Innocence. And so to be able to take the people I know, the things I've learned, the experiences I've had, and laser focus them on this relatively small space. And at that time, a small team that's grown quite a bit since then. But um, uh, it's been very gratifying to know that uh, uh, I could make a difference in something that's so needed. Uh, well, thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts. So I'm going to ask you, what is the call to action you want to leave people with? The call to action, um, you know, for everybody, I want to challenge everybody to take another step forward in understanding and learning and getting involved in anti-human trafficking efforts. Every, this requires all of us. There's no one who is absolved. There's no one who um, is above this. This is going to require all of us. Now, in my specific niche, in my specific place, and this book that you're shining a light on, there's a subcategory of men, and I'm challenging men. Every man that will slow down and look at me and have this conversation, read this book, call to action, read this book. And so it's not, conf so it's not confused with some kind of a shameless plug. Any possible um, royalties and and uh, you know money that's made from this book goes to the survivors of sex trafficking that are in the book. So I, I already have a job. I'm not trying to make money on this book. I'm trying to challenge men to lean in, step forward, cross the line, get involved, and do whatever it is that you can do, men. And the first thing you can do is read this book. And in the book and on the website, fightforme.net, there's full of action items and things that you can do. Do one of them and then do another one. Call to action. Man, we have to be honest with ourselves. This fastest growing crime in the world has happened right under our noses. You might be learning about it right now. So it's okay. Now, now let's get going. Maybe you've known about this. Well, let's get going. So the call to action is action. Do something. Do anything. Do something. Go to the website, read the book, get more educated, go down a rabbit hole on Google, watch documentaries, figure something out and let it keep you up at night. And then somewhere in the darkness, you'll be motivated and you'll be have some clarity. I need to be part of this fight. I'm going to, and here's how I'm going to do it. So it's a, it's a little bit open-ended, Laura. I, I always leave it open-ended. I want to give anyone exactly what they should do because everyone's a little different. 
although there are plenty of specifics in the book and on that website. It would be a mistake. Us men, we would be making a mistake to think that this doesn't apply to us. It would be a mistake to think that our own children, because we're in our family, are are not susceptible. You know, our, our FBI says there's at any given time, there's a million predators online. Um, preying on availability and vulnerability. This crime is closer than you think, men. And we have to stand up and be ready to fight against it. Let's go. Send me an email. We'll talk about it. <laughs> well put. Really, really well put. You've given me ideas um, in terms of my my two teenage sons, my 11-year-old daughter, my husband, who will be reading this book next, uh, as well as our, our 16-year-old. And we look forward to being part of this fight. And I commit to sharing this episode as broadly as I possibly can. Um, and to I'm just delighted that the book sales go directly to the survivors and the work they're doing. So it's all part of uh, fueling this system of doing good and, and fighting this good battle, right? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for your time. I feel like we're going to meet again, I hope, in person next time. <laughs> and, um, and it's been a delight. And thank you for your courage in sharing, in helping others, in, in bringing awareness to make this world a better place by ridding it of the heinous crime of sex trafficking and child sex trafficking in particular, but all sex trafficking. Thank you, Alan. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And um, this sounds like a really big insurmountable problem, but I firmly believe that if we get enough people and a subset enough men linking arms on this, um, we can not only see it diminish, we can see it go away and it needs to, we can't rest until it does. And so I thank you for your help in making that a reality. My honor. Stay well. Thank you so much for joining us today on Where Work Meets Life. I'm passionate about sharing insights from experts around the world on topics at the intersection of where work meets life. If you found this podcast useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. For more articles, information, and tips, sign up for my monthly newsletter at my website, drlaura.live. This podcast summary contains links to the psychology practice I founded, Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology, as well as my current employer, Humans, a nationwide organizational psychology firm focusing on culture and performance. Stay well.